that got a lot of play on YouTube this week. <clears throat> and um, a number of brothers that I have great respect for, one in particular, I'm not going to share his name, was a well-known Christian leader, was very critical of it. And he said, what's wrong with this? Mixed messages, singing hallelujah to the majestic God while people are shopping. And he parenthesized that by saying worshiping idols. And I sent a message back to him, and this guy's way out of my league. He's, I don't, I can't loosen his sandals. That's how much respect he has in the Christian community. And I said, could it not possibly be the proclamation of the Lordship of Christ in the midst of a fallen culture? I don't know about you, but I, I started crying. And I, right then, just hearing those amazing voices, and it's so majestic that it stopped probably at least a couple of thousand shoppers in their spot from doing what they were, some who know Jesus and some who don't, to sing and declare that he shall reign forever and ever. And that he is the King of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. There is something in my heart this morning that I, I, want, I want to get out. But before I break all to pieces, I want to share a scripture this is not in the notes. This is just Holy Spirit remembrance right on the spot. Psalm 22. I'm reading from the ESV. Psalm 22 and verse 27. Listen to this. All the ends of the earth shall remember. Everybody say remember. remember. When, when something is remembered, the members are put back together again. Something that was broken apart gets remembered. How many of you know that we are the body with many what? Members. So to remember is not just to recollect, to call into your memory a thought of what once was, but it's, it's what the thief said on the cross when he said, when you come into your kingdom, when you come into paradise, what did he say? Put me back together. Remember me. The whole message of the gospel is about the hope of God that will put broken things back together. And I'm telling you, in the collective hearts of the all creation, there is going to come a time when the whole earth, <laughs> when all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I may be enjoying a Holy Ghost party by myself, but I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is in this place today. Listen to the words of the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. <laughs> For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even to the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. That's the seed. That's the generations to come. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. That's why 
we are so possessed with putting the right bait on the hook to capture the coming generation. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. We've got, we've got to capture the coming generation so that they're not lost and so that they can remember and turn to the Lord. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Everybody say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. I believe that the gospel of God has been given for the purpose of not just invading your personal life and your heart, but for invading the culture. For getting the word to the ends of creation that he is not only creator, but he is ruler. He is king. He is king right now. Not one of these days. Not when he comes back, yes, but right now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty of the throne of God on high. And he is ruling right now over the whole universe. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Now, I know this morning that I took a few minutes to do that. We're going to be baptizing today. We're excited about that. It's an amazing time of celebration and initiation into the kingdom of God. This morning I want to bring installment number seven in this series of messages that I believe has been the most important series that we have ever done at Victory because it's all about getting the gospel right. Tim Keller says in the book, if you think you understand the gospel, then that's the number one indication that you don't. And if you realize that you don't, it means that you probably have gotten it. If you realize that you don't, you're, re- you're understanding that this thing is so much bigger. It has implications that are comprehensive. It's not just about getting you a ticket to heaven. As a matter of fact, God's primary hope is not to get you into heaven. It's to get heaven into you. Come on, somebody. I'm reading this morning from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. Talking about redefining hope. Everybody say hope. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Everybody say, that's me. But look, it says you once were. It's not who you are now. It's who you used to be. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Now, everybody say, that's, now, that's who I am now. Holy and blameless. Some of you just about can't believe that, but that's what the word says. His sacrifice, the work of God in his body by the death on the cross, was done to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look at the next phrase. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Everybody say that phrase with me. Hope of the gospel. Say it again. Hope of the of the gospel. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you 
to make the word of God fully known, the mystery. Greek word mysterion. It literally means the sacred secret. Everybody say the sacred secret. The mystery, the mysterion, the sacred secret that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Everybody say, that's us. See, there's only two categories in the scripture. Either you're a saint or you're an ain't. Come on. Either you're an Adam or you're in Christ. There's only two kinds of people in the earth. In Adam all die, in Christ all shall be what? Made alive, the Bible says. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this sacred secret, which is what? Christ in you. There it is again. The what? The hope of glory. There it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think I gave Alex instruction to stop there, but I went ahead and in my own notes added two more verses. Him we proclaim... Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer? Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you are Lord right now. You're Lord over our lives. You're Lord over every circumstance that we face this morning. You're Lord over the mess that we are still working through. You're Lord of the circumstances, and you are working all things together for our good because we love you and we are called according to your purpose. Thank you that you have predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And Lord, whom you predestined, you also called, and who you called, you also sanctified, and you justified, and you will glorify. And I thank you for this word. Thank you that it penetrates our hearts and it causes us to remember and turn to the Lord and to worship him. Because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're talking about three parables in Luke chapter 15. Three parables that all deal with one subject. That subject is lostness. It's all about something that was lost that's now found. It was a lost sheep. It was a lost coin. And it was two lost sons. An elder brother and a younger brother. God is all about recovering what is lost. We recognize the importance of the fact that the greatest prodigal in this story, if you've been reading the book with us and going to life groups, by the way, we're getting some amazing reports. Thank you so much. Those of you who opened your homes, I'd like everybody, if you would, just put your hands together. Let's give them a hand. Life groups have been amazing. The real ministry and victory goes on in those small groups. It's not just about a celebration service where we gather here and we hear good preaching. By the way, Alex has flat just preached up a storm the last two Sundays. Give him a hand too. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, as soon as we finish on a Sunday, I'm already looking forward to the next week to come in and experience the presence of God in worship and then to hear the word of the Lord and to be encouraged and to be challenged because our God's up to something. Can I have an Amen. I believe that with all my heart. And I, I just want you to know today that Jesus Christ, God the Father, is the greatest prodigal in this story. Prodigal, remember, doesn't mean wayward. It means extravagant. And God extravagantly gave the most precious gift that he could possibly give. And that was his son, who, by the way, gives us a picture, as Alex showed us last week, of what the true elder brother is supposed to behave like. Jesus receives us. He 
actually leaves home and goes searching for us. He lays down his life and dies for us. He's not the the high-minded, self-righteous, moral conformist elder brother of the story, the way the Pharisees were treating the sinners that were standing around and being drawn and attracted to Jesus. We've taken six weeks prior to now, and we've redefined sin, we've redefined lostness. We've realized that it's not just about the the typical ways of being out there lost in the world and the sin of self-indulgence and the sin of putting myself on the throne and declaring that I'm God over my own life. We've realized that it's not just the sin of self-discovery and sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Those are the obvious sins. Those are the easy ones to spot. But it is also the sin and the lostness of being in the pew, of being at home in the same house with the Father, growing up around Him, but yet forfeiting the possibility of a relationship because you've taken on the primary role of being one's own Savior by keeping a good outward representation of the law and thinking that I could earn possibly the reward and the good standing of the Father when there's absolutely no possible way. Greg said it, couldn't say it better myself. If heaven ain't free, I ain't getting there. Heaven is a free gift. It's not earned or deserved. You know what? Because we understand that, we realize that we have the moral conformists on one side and we have the self-discoverers on the other side, the antinomians, those who throw the law away and they become lawless, and these who take up the law and try to use it as an instrument of personal salvation. And they're the legalists on one side and the licentious lawless ones on the other. Jesus steps into the midst of that crowd and he parts the waters and he says, that ain't it and neither is that. This is the way. Walk ye in this. The thing that terrifies me is that in the South, we are good at recognizing and pointing out the sins and the frailties and the mistakes of the younger brothers. And man, we can preach up a storm and we can scare the hell out of them. And we can do everything we can to get them in the place to try to get them in touch with God. And I want to tell you something. As soon as we get them in here in a couple of years, we end up making elder brothers out of the saved younger brothers. And would to God we could recognize that neither one of those are a road to salvation. It's a ditch on both sides and we got to get up out of either ditch. Whichever one you grew up in, whichever one you've been in and been raised in, whether he saves you from the gutter or he saves you from the pew. We must get on the road and walk on the road because he is the way and the truth and the life. And no man can come unto the Father except by him. I believe with all of my heart that there is a sense of the hope of the gospel that we are recapturing in this church, that we are understanding that this thing is just bigger than than a code. It's bigger than a few uh, commandments that we can keep and put on a good religious show on the outside, make everybody think that everything's doing pretty good and going well, when on the inside we are broken and depraved and hurting and crying out for God to touch us and change us. Apart from the gospel, we cannot do anything. Come on, somebody. I believe with all of my heart that what Tim Keller calls in this chapter this week a longing for home, a longing for the place of acceptance. We're heading into into it in this season because the season of the holidays from Thanksgiving on through the first of the year, the house is filled with these amazing smells and the sounds and the joys of the season and some of you might not like Christmas music. I just, I just want to pray for you and cast the Grinch out of you if you think that way. I, I, I love Christmas. I love, I love the smells. I love the food. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. Oh, 
I, I love everything that has to do with it because you get a chance to see people, and it's amazing. See people you haven't seen in a while, and through the holidays, something happens. There is this thing we call the spirit of Christmas or the spirit of the season, and it comes over people, and all of a sudden, when they normally wouldn't be gracious, maybe they're a little bit more patient. Because they're hearing it regularly in the mall and in the hall and down at the shopping center and on the job. We start to think about peace on earth toward men of goodwill. Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace who has come to bring us peace. And it's amazing how in these holidays people really begin to look for that place of acceptance. And they can't wait to get back home. And foreign Americans on foreign soil literally spend billions of dollars every year flying back home to recapture a sense of that longing. We go back to the places. We make treks back to those places where we grew up, where we spent our summer vacations in those fishing holes with dad or granddad or grandpa or, or, or doing those things together, gathering around the piano. And, 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 or maybe it's sitting together at one evening and, and, and you know, popping some popcorn and, and watching It's a Wonderful Life and seeing Clarence get his wings. It's all of those memories that we, we remember and we, we feel that and we sense that. And yet in the middle of all those expectations, sometimes there is this great sense of disappointment. I don't know about you, and please don't hear me. I'm, I'm not a spoiled person. I was always very grateful for everything that I got. But I remember the anticipation that I had every year. We would count the days as young boys, Dewey and myself. And we would we'd be 10 days counting down, 9 days. And we'd two, two or 3 days out, we'd say, can you let us open one a day until Christmas? Come on, how many of you know that? That's, that's just, this is what it is. And, 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 and man, we go through it. And, and, and my mom used to spend all this amazing time just cooking and preparing and wrapping the most amazing, gorgeous gifts you've ever seen in your life. And the two of us boys would just rip through it in about seven minutes. And all the stuff would be open and all over the place. And we'd just have stuff. And I remember just almost feeling an emptiness. Because even as wonderful as the stuff was... It just didn't meet the expectation or the anticipation of what I thought it was going to be. And so I don't want you to think that I'm spoiled or I was expecting more than my parents would deliver. I think that's just something that's down in our collective human DNA in the sense of anticipating something, a sense of acceptance, no more rejection, a, 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 a sense of victory, no more sin. I, I, I'm longing for the day when we see all that is in heaven demonstrated as Jesus taught us to pray. Come on, say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? In earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer he's taught us to pray, to be kingdom-minded, to recognize that he was king at that moment, not going to be king one day, not out of a political uprising, not out of some kind of uh, a coup, but because he came and entered the place as king. Didn't show up the way a lot of folks expected, and this is not a Christmas message, but it's still all about the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is three things, and I'm going to give this to you quickly this morning. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul defines it for us. He says, for it's the power of God unto what? Unto salvation. Everybody say, unto salvation. The apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He goes on to say, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, this thing is a progression. You don't just get an understanding of it when it first happens. It's planted deep in your heart like a seed that begins to grow. And it comprehensively begins to have implications into every area of your life. It's like standing on the bridge and dropping a pebble into the stream below. And you see those circles just begin to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And those concentric circles move out. And that's what the babe of Bethlehem did. He was the king of kings. And he is the Lord of Lords. And he comes into your heart like a seed. And he, first of all, gives you that assurance of his salvation and his presence that he has forgiven you and accepted you. And he begins to answer gradually and one at a time those longings that you have, the longing for home. First of all, that you now have peace with God. There's no longer a a most wanted ad in the post office of heaven with your ugly mug up there on the shot. It's no longer a picture of you in the post office of heaven saying most wanted because he's found you and captured you and he's got you. He's brought you back home. Come on, somebody. The hope of the gospel, first of all, is about salvation. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is soteria. Greek word means complete deliverance, victory over everything, complete deliverance. How many of you know that's still in process? There's some things I still don't have complete victory over. But he's begun the work, and he's promised that that I could be confident that because he's going to complete this thing and do it until the day of Jesus Christ, that this thing is going to be finished. I will have, in every sense of the word, complete and total deliverance from sin and from sickness, from death. Come on, somebody. It's the promise. The hope of the gospel is the promise of personal transformation, that Jesus is Lord of the individual. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everybody say, a living hope. This is a hope that will get down on the inside of you and will fuss with you and it will change you. And it, it will make you realize that you're not the same old person that you used to be just with another chance. But you are a whole new kind of creature in Christ. That, that there's a new nature on the inside of you. There's something that is motivating you, that's animating you, that is pushing you to something different. Toward a new goal, toward a new destiny, toward the dream of God, the hope of the gospel for you. That Jesus Christ would be Lord of every area of your life. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. Only other fill in the blank we have is this one, if you would fill this in. Hear this this morning. The world is filled with younger brothers that are dead in rebellion and elder brothers that are dead in religion who all need the good news of life in Jesus Christ. Run that back and let's get it and read it again. Here we go. The world is filled, say it with me. The world is filled with younger brothers dead in rebellion and elder brothers dead in religion who all need the good news. Everybody say the good news. What does gospel mean? Good news. That's it. They all need the gospel, the good news of life in Jesus Christ. Now, you know what? That's where most of Southern Churchianity stops right there. Come on, get your ticket to heaven. 
tie him out in the end of the rope, hang on till Jesus comes. This whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't worry about it. Don't try to fix it. I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because God aims to take your personally transformed, changed life. And just like he got down on the inside of you and Jesus, our heavenly Joshua, Joshua who invaded the land and who began to drive out all the giants and tear down the walled cities and the strongholds so the people of God could possess the promised land that God had promised them. Jesus, who is our heavenly Joshua, has marched into your land to invade and tear down and drive out every giant, every addiction, every sin, every pattern that would cause you to not have deliverance. He's going to pull down every walled city, every wrong pattern, every stronghold of thinking. He's going to pull down vain imaginations and every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Somebody grab those for me, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 is what I just quoted for you right there. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. God didn't save you to leave you all bound up in strongholds to only set you free when you die and go to heaven. He wants you to be free now. Everybody say right now. Right now. Say not in the sweet by and by. Not. Say in the nasty, nasty. nitty gritty right, right now. God wants us to be real people experiencing the real God in a real world. In the middle of all the circumstances, all the junk, all the stuff that we don't feel like it's fixed yet. He wants to fix you so that you can step into your circumstances and your networks and your circle of influence. And he wants you to be planted like a seed so that everything around you can begin to experience transformation and change. The people who put on that amazing video thought they were just doing it as a random act of culture. Everybody say culture. Culture comes from the Latin word, which means cultus, which means to worship. God's intention is that all of creation would be cultivated. What did he tell Adam and Eve to do? To dress and to tend the garden, to subdue it. To... We, we get agriculture. We get horticulture. All of that is the cultivation of the various kingdoms of this world that are becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever and ever. The gospel is not just about personal salvation. It's not just your individual ticket to heaven. But the gospel is the fact that God is going to redeem and restore and rescue everything in the creation so that culture itself would remember and turn to the Lord and worship Him, that we would have laws that were righteous and just. This is why we're in a culture war. Because culture is all about what we lift up and identify as the, 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 the primary, the preeminent. It's what we worship, what we cultivate, what we cultus, what we worship. Secondly, it's not just personal transformation, it's cultural transformation. This is the extension of Christ's lordship into every area of life. That means that you go in and teach in the public school. And you may not mention the name of Jesus, but because all truth is God's truth, you are advancing the kingdom of God. (laughs) 
Listen to me. Some of you who are stay-at-home moms, do not ever lose the awareness that your ordinary days are holy in the presence of God. Every time you clean a poopy diaper, you've just brought order out of chaos. Somebody say amen. You have just brought cleanliness into the place where there was decay and rot and that's enough. I'll move on. <laughs> Every time you feed that baby, when you, when you rejoice, when he sits up by himself, when you, when you dance because she takes her first step, you are advancing the kingdom of God. When you set her on your knee and you teach her to sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Every note you sing in tune her out, you are advancing the kingdom of God. You are establishing a posterity that will serve him to the coming generation. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Come on, somebody. Don't let the devil lie to you and discourage you because you feel like you have so much potential and you're sitting there in the middle of dirty bottles and stacking diapers because you are doing kingdom work, mom, or maybe dad. If you're at home doing it, come on, somebody. The Bible says, Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile himself to all things. Everybody say all things. It's not just people. It's not just the souls of men and women, but God is about reconciling everything in the whole created order to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yes. I want you to hear something this morning. God is after invading your kingdom of influence. He's after you moving into the educational kingdom and establishing the influence of Jesus Christ. He's after you moving into the medical kingdom and taking what it means to have a personal relationship with the great physician and to inappropriate times in the appropriate times, be able to share the fact that faith in Christ will not only heal the soul, but it'll heal the body. God is all about having people who will stand up with a vision of the kingdom of God that is now, but it is also coming and progressing and growing. And like the leaven that the woman hid in a little bit of flour until the leaven had worked its way through the whole lump, the kingdom of God has been progressing and progressing ever since the baby was revealed in the manger in Bethlehem. Twelve disciples followed him and believed. One of them stood up possessed by God on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit and 120 were seeking God and that day the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and 120 were born with their names. Peter steps out into the crowded marketplace and he begins to declare the word of the Lord. Men and brethren, these folks are not drunk as you suppose because it's just nine o'clock in the morning. It's the time of the first sacrifice and he begins to preach on the unction and the anointing of God and 3,000 people get saved that day. I want to tell you, year after year and century after century and millennium after millennium, we now have on this planet a burgeoning, growing number of people who confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And I'm telling you of the increase of his government and peace. The Gospel of Luke said it this way, of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. 
I don't believe this ridiculous prophetic speculation that's written in all about all these left-behind books and this hogwash, which is just nothing but somebody's idea of what possibly might happen. I'm going to tell you something. I'm there, you will never hear me preach the glory of a coming Antichrist because there is a Christ who is coming, and he's already living on the inside of your heart this morning, and that's what the whole message of the thing is about. Every generation has had an Antichrist. God wants people to recognize that every area of life is to come under the influence and the changing, transforming power of the gospel. Think about this fact. Jesus talked about three things that were lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and two lost sons. We emphasize all the time the lost sons, but we don't realize God wants to have his gospel touch the economic arena where we trade, where we buy and sell. God's interested in your bank account. God's interested in how you're trading. He's interested in how you're dealing. He's interested in your commerce and your vision. Come on, come on, some of you. God is wanting to put dreams on the inside of you and help you take those, place to the, those dreams to the marketplace so that they can bring an increase. They can bring a return for you so that you can not only be blessed, but you can advance the kingdom of God through the prosperity that God gives you. Not just so you can have a bigger house and trick out your Escalade. Nothing wrong with that. Sorry, I mentioned that one. If anybody's driving one this morning, God loves you, I do too. Hallelujah. Just, or your Jag, or your Caddy, or your whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's not about any of that stuff. It's so long as God wants you to bless you, so long as you own the stuff and the stuff doesn't own you. Come on. If He taps you on the shoulder tomorrow and says, Give it away, and you can do that, then that means, hey, guess what? He can bless you with a whole lot more than what you already have right now. Abraham Kuyper said this, he said, In the total expanse of human life, there's not a single square inch of which the Christ who alone is sovereign does not declare, that is mine. It's all his. And what we are called to do is to press the crown rights of Jesus Christ. It is rightfully his. He is the heir apparent. It belongs to him. But I want to tell you, it doesn't stop there just with cultural transformation, with creating a culture of worship, a culture that recognizes that not the state, not man, not some Marxist idea, not liberal politics, not conservative politics, not politics at all, but that we would be, we would take the gospel of God into that arena if God has called you to do that as well. Come on, somebody. Finally, he says this morning that there would also be transformation of the whole created order. Hear this. Jesus came to reverse the curse. When Adam and Eve left the garden, God pronounced the curse and he said, everything you get, you're going to get by the sweat of your brow. I'm a demonstration of that this morning. I'm working hard up here. I'm sweating right now. I'm sweating. It's a demonstration of the, the, the body that I'm living in is still under the curse. It's, it's aging. It's getting old. It, the, the, these gray hairs, where are they coming from? Where? I'm a, I'll be 50 here in just a few weeks and, and, and I wake up in the morning and sometimes don't get out of bed as quickly as I used to and things are starting to hurt and not work and, and all these different kinds of things that I just wonder, what's going on? Don't even look at me in that tone of voice. Growing old sucks. That's under the curse. That's under the curse. And if I offended you by saying that, maybe there's a little Pharisee God wants to deal with you in this morning. 
God says there will come a time, and it's not just in heaven, but there will be a generation of people who will put death under their feet. Yes, I know that when I see him, we will be like him, for we shall be as he is, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. But look at this. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Galatians chapter 3 says he hung on the cross and became a curse for us. You don't have to live under the curse of the law of sin and death, somebody. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Look at, look at this. Look at looky. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in what? In hope. Every, there it is right there. Hope. Everybody say hope. This is the hope of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God who does not share his glory with anyone, but now who has a family, and it's the gospel of shared glory. He's put glory on the inside of you so that the glory of God in you could come out of you and change the world around you so that what once was a little bitty spot on the planet called the Garden of Eden, when he finishes, the whole earth is going to be filled with the Garden of God. Some of you have never heard any preaching like this, and you don't even know what to think about it. Look at this. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself. What was the first parable in Luke 15? It was about a lost what? Sheep. God's going to rearrange the order of how the animals even deal with each other. What does the scripture say? The lion shall lie down with the lamb. I want to tell you that's already been fulfilled because the lion nature laid down with the lamb nature in the son and his name is Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world to take away the sins of the world. That's already been done and finished in the prototype, in the first true elder brother son. But God's going to work it in a company of many brothers, many sons, who are coming to glory. Look at this. He says, He subjected the creation in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory. Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. From the bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me tell you what you're longing for in your heart. You're longing for walking out of this place and there being no more injustice. You're walking to long out of this, walk out of this place and for there to be kindness and gentleness. When you get on the road and you need to edge your way in to that ridiculous situation on the I-40 bridge, why they would shut that thing three lanes down to one, just absolutely, I'd just go, God, some, reverse somebody's idiot curse here. <laughs> I've been to foreign nations. I've been to Peru where there are 14 million people and the traffic is... Six lanes, and there's like nine lanes of cars driving and six painted lanes. That the, 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 the lanes really didn't mean anything. I've been to Beijing, and there's uh, 14, 15, 16 million people there, and there's 10 million bicycles and people that are just wandering around the streets of Beijing all hours of the night out there. And you look at the hotel, and there are people doing their... <laughs> tai Chi. <laughs> the city never sleeps. And I rode in a rickshaw to Tiananmen Square. I heard a guy talk about preaching the gospel. And the whole Tiananmen Square revolt was a university professor degreed 
professor of economics in the University of Beijing, and he got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he was standing in Tiananmen Square preaching the gospel, and they put him in prison for seven years. I heard his testimony. I rode in a rickshaw, a little bitty Chinese guy. I had a translator, and the tra- translator said, he's saying you got to tip him. You're a very big American. <laughs> <laughs> Very big American. (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but anyway, yeah. And and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm seeing all this in these streets and these cities, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my life flashed before my eyes. And, And it's amazing how I never saw one accident in these millions of cars, millions of people, millions of rickshaws, millions of bicycles. And you try to slide in somewhere here, and they would just toot their horn and never even think anything about it. And they're just, as a whole culture, kind to each other. In, in Peru, in Lima, they just honk their horn, and you just, you just get in. It's just not an issue. I mean, here around here, they're just flashing you the, Hollywood, the, the Hawaiian Board of Happiness and, you know, uh, just all kinds of signs to tell you that they love you in the Lord, you know, when you try to get in and get a little ahead of somebody. We, we long for walking out of this place, and we long to experience Christmas with our families that every time we get together, you just feel the grind and the tension. Don't even look at me like that. In those relationships that have not been set right, and you're longing for there to be peace in that home and peace in the hearts of all those people. And I just want to tell you something. God says you're longing for that. Listen to this, and this is my last scripture, and I'm finished. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Tell your neighbor, say, God's still working on this whole thing. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You want to know why? Because God is busy working, doing things that you absolutely cannot even begin to imagine or understand. He's still working on you. He's still working on me. Some of you, this is just so big of an order. You've always heard the gospel is just about saving your personal soul. And that's where it starts. That's just the open door. God wants to save the culture. God wants to save the whole created order, the whole creation that groans and trembles. Why do you think we're having earthquakes and tsunamis and, and, and hailstorms and tornadoes and all of this? It's just the whole earth. The Bible says in Romans 8 that the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is a huge dream. It's a crazy dream because it's the dream in the heart of God. It's the hope of the gospel. It's what God says, I'm not quitting until this thing finishes the way I saw it starting. 493 years ago, a little German monk who was an unknown stood up with a word that was blazing on his heart on October 31st, not Halloween, it was Reformation Day. It was Reformation Sunday, and he nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Worms, the Wittenberg door. And God began to speak to him out of the Old Testament book of Habakkuk and the New Testament books of Romans and Galatians. And he started to hear the phrase that the just shall live by faith. Because he'd been raised in elder brother religion his whole life that he had to do all this stuff in order to please God, which there was never a possibility of ever pleasing this distant, holy, transcendent God. He wore hair shirts and he fasted and He put himself in all kinds of misery and 
embraced asceticism and he hurt himself and he did all kinds of things trying to earn the favor and the heart and the love and the acceptance. He was longing for home and one day the word began to burn in his heart and it, he studied the scriptures every day. He committed himself to it for hours a day for months and years on end. And this little guy by the name of Martin Luther changed the course of history. The just shall live by faith is the most critical, pivotal doctrine in the thing we call the gospel because it's the fact that you and I are justified not by what we ever do or earn or deserve, but it's the fact that we are justified by faith in what He's already done for us. That is the gospel. Martin Luther recaptured that and brought it to a generation and it shook all of Europe. If you can hear me this morning, I want to tell you, I believe that God has brought us to this place in the Delta, which basically everybody dismisses and calls it the armpit of eastern Arkansas. Everybody talks about how bad it is and the spirit of mediocrity and the ignorance and the racism and the poverty and the mentality that is here. And I want to tell you in the middle of this, God wants to raise up some people who have the courage of Martin Luther's to take the gospel, not just the message of 493 years ago of the fact that the just shall live by faith, but that this gospel will change everything about the Delta before God is through with it. I hear reports of people talking about how the schools are just going downhill. And I want to tell you, I don't, I don't receive that. I, Victory is going to be a different kind of church. We're going to be a church that says, no, 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 we're not giving up on the hope of the gospel. If we've got to get in there, if we've got to march around them and pray, if we've got to get in there and even don't have the opportunity to say the name of Jesus, but just be in the presence of these students in some kind of... That's why we've got to reach out with our youth group and touch the coming generation. Come on, somebody. Martin wrote these words. And literally when he penned these words, history tells us that the presence of evil and opposition to him was so strong in the room that he picked up his inkwell and he threw it at the wall. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who, this, who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Verse 3. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. All you need is one word from God. One word. Tune in your ear and hear. That's all you need is one word. Everybody say one word. Say one word is all I need. That'll fix your situation. And took one word and faith arose and 
your lives change, those of you who've trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior. Last verse and I'm finished. That word, above all earthly powers, not thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. I love that. 493 years ago, Martin Luther was a Holy Ghost man. Talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Put your hands together and give Him praise. His kingdom is forever and ever and ever and ever. And I'd like you to bow your head with me, please, right now, if you would. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I have preached my heart out. And I believe I have delivered what the prophets of the Old Covenant called the burden of the Lord. And I just want to say to you right now that if there was anything that rang in your heart, any sense of the longing for home, of having a life set right with God. There's absolutely no hope of receiving that in anything that you can do. None of us are good enough. It's like Greg said it. I'll repeat it again. If heaven ain't free, I ain't getting there. That's where it starts. That's the seed of the gospel that comes into your heart. This morning, you have to realize that you are given peace with God because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came and he lived the perfect life. He died for you. He took your place. The just suffering for the unjust. That's me. I'm the unjust. Deserve to die. Every one of us in this room deserve the penalty of hell. But the fact that a loving God would come and send him his own son and extravagantly, prodigally pour out the most expensive gift that he possibly could give and die for us, that just blows my mind. All you have to do is take this first step. Jesus' first words were repent and believe the gospel. Repent, believe the gospel. Repent means to turn. Turn from your past, turn to God. Don't worry about getting everything all together, getting your stuff all straight, getting all your ducks in a row. But just turn to God. In your turning to Him, you're turning away from the past. You're saying, God, i got to have a new day. I need a fresh start. Come into my heart. Change my life. Jesus, save me. You know what? You don't have to have your theology right. You don't even have to know what you believe. You just need to say, Jesus, save me. You just need to know that He can and He will save you. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.